Welcome to the Top Order podcast. Pakistan bounced back against the West Indies. We talk CPL, highlights packages, the conclusion of the 100, changes to the IPL, New Zealand in action this week as well with coverage on Spark Sports. And of course, we cover England's remarkable comeback in that test at Headingley. All coming up on the Top Order podcast. Stay tuned. So we'll start, I think, with Pakistan bouncing back against the West Indies. The question to be asked is, are we in an era of great seam bowlers? Seems to be, no pun intended, um, that a lot of the seam attacks around the world um, are in pretty good nick and spins almost an afterthought in many countries. Um, What's the reason for this? We touched upon a little bit with Jared Kimber, but... Um, Baldy, over to you, because um, I think you've done the analysis and uh, and Jared Kimber would, would have a bit to say on this as well as you. Well, this actually came from Stu and his notes, but I mean, if we we talked to Jared Kimber a little while ago and, and he was he was saying that, you know, the analysts are only helping one side of the equation. And, and I think for me, this is as much an issue with the scheduling of cricket as it is with analysis or skill level, because... There is a dearth of red ball cricket around the world at the moment. And I think what we're seeing is that top order bats in particular aren't being able to concentrate for longer periods of time, uh, particularly when the white ball doesn't swing and that wickets at the top of the order are more acceptable in white ball cricket than, in, you know, than in red ball cricket. In the cha- in the power play and the opening overs, it's okay to have a bash. And if you get out, well, so be it. In the red ball game, completely the opposite. You must protect your wicket in the first 10 or 15 overs. Players aren't used to being in that scenario. And as long as bowlers remain fit enough, you know, they can keep going back to their best possible delivery. They can leave all of their variations that they hone for the white ball game behind. And as long as they're fit and have got enough bowling miles in them, they can just bowl fifth stump channel and eventually the batsman will make a mistake. So I feel like it's a combination of, yes, there are some very good seam attacks going around at the moment, but batters aren't playing enough cricket in the right scenarios to prepare them for test match cricket at the moment. Yeah, look, and I don't have the answer to that. I mean, you've you've summed it up pretty well there, I think, Baldy. But it sort of struck me when I was watching that game because, I mean, Shaheen Shahafridi, obviously a, a star of that game and man of the series, took 18 wickets over two tests. I mean, it, it's, um, you know, we talk about it being 1-1. It's kind of the perfect scenario for a, a third test there. But, um, you know, obviously that just doesn't happen these days. But, you know, the, we, I want to shine a light on Shaheen in a minute, but, you look at that Pakistan attack, and I just thought, look, they've got Afridi, Abbas, Hassan Ali. We've talked about Jaden Seals as a rising star for the West Indies. We've raved about New Zealand, India, England's attack. You look at South Africa, they've got Rabada, Nokia. It's just it's just sort of, the list goes on, and, and it, it feels like, you know, as you said in, before, Binksy, that spin is almost an afterthought. I can't even think of that many teams that have a good spinner that, you know, even we're talking about Ravi Ashwin and, and all the Indian stuff. Well, you're talking about Ravi Ashwin. Well, I'm I'm trying to talk about Ravi Ashwin, but he can't get on the field because spin is just not, not a feature anymore. And, and I think in some ways spin is not a feature because seam is going so well. Well, I was going to say that I think it's also a little bit skewed uh, because we're in the world we're playing at the moment. We're playing in, in areas where it, it, it typically isn't where you see the high-scoring innings uh, being played. Like, usually you see them in Australia. Lately, you've seen them in New Zealand, this side of the world where they use a kookaburra ball. Uh, over the last few seasons, I'm getting a lot more access to, to English cricket. I've been really surprised by how much that, that juke ball really does do and for how long uh, it does, it does uh, move for. 
So I think that makes a, that makes a, a difference as well. Before we move on to anything else, can I just shine the light on Shaheen? Because, you know, Baldy, uh, in our last sort of uh, Hall of Fame episode, you touched on kind of the fact that those sort of numbers that, that show what a, a world-class uh, seamer is. And Shaheen, I know it's still early days, but 19 tests, he's already hitting a lot of those marks that Baldy outlined as, you know, the elite stats of all time. Averages 25, four wickets per test, Strike rate of 49, which is absolutely out, outstanding, uh, and took his first 10 for. I mean, the guy's only 21. It's like he's got a real chance to be one of Pakistan's great seamers, and, and I mean, they've had some good ones, but yeah, he's got a real chance. Yeah, I guess they've got to play enough cricket first and foremost, and I think he's got to stay in the park, but yeah, certainly early signs are superb. I was going to make a more general point, and you, you know how I like to throw statistics out there willy nilly without any research, but. Um, I, it for me a, a little bit in in Test cricket compared with the shorter form of the game, it feels a little bit like baseball in many respects. In that you've got such strong pitching staffs in the major league that can just keep bringing in a guy that can um, obviously throw heat and, and and kind of put the ball in, in cricketing parlance in the right areas. And if you look at even England, I was bemoaning their lack of sort of seam depth, and then. You know, Ollie Robinson's emerged a little bit on the scene in, in recent times. Um, Mark Wood um, has had to sort of step up. And, and obviously you've got, you know, the, the, the GOAT, Jimmy Anderson, sort of doing that. Whereas when you contrast 2020, there's a bit more of a focus on matchups as well, where you might bring bowlers in against particular batters. Whereas in test cricket, it just seems to be batting units don't really change. It's the bowling units that change, normally because the batting units failed. Um, and we see this sort of swapping of the, um, you know, of, of the roster, but just sustained pressure. And and I guess sort of the, you know, the fitness and the rotation and the workload management all coming into that as well. I just wonder whether that is something that Kimber touched upon a little bit in terms of bowling plans, that the batting plan piece hasn't, you know, caught up in that respect as well. Um, so, yeah, I don't know whether Baldy with your, um, you know, algorithmic brain on you might sort of pick up on a couple of those and, and maybe prove or, or disprove that's, that theory for me. So let's move on. We've got some Kiwis in action in the CPL. So Glenn Phillips, um, yeah, a bit of a, a traveling, um, yeah, tra- traveling sort of menagerie of Kiwi cricketers at the moment. Uh, Colin Monroe, Tim, Tim Seifer out there as well. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure one of you is itching to talk about the graphics as well, because that seems to be a common topic. But yeah, CPL guys, what are our, what are our thoughts there? Is it, is it bringing the, the Rasmataz? Well, look, I'll just quickly touch on the Kiwis because, yeah, we've got Glenn Phillips over there and, and Tim Seifert and, and Colin Munro. But we've all made uh, pretty good starts, actually. Phillips keeps up his, his good form for, for uh, playing for Barbados, playing for the Royals, who he'll also then play for the Royals in the uh, IPL shortly, which I'm, I'm sure we'll touch on in a minute. But, yeah, was dropped with an absolute sitter at mid-wicket early on. I don't know what's going on there. There's some, uh, there's been some shockers. But, uh, yeah, him and... Tim Seifert and Monroe both got 40 for the, the Night Riders and one of the more thrilling finishes we've seen so far but just failed to get them home and uh, an interesting stat I saw about Monroe he's uh, which you know maybe strengthens his case once again for the fact that he should have been potentially in the mix for for this T20 stuff and he is the most prolific overseas batter in, in the CPL I think he's got 1750 odd runs and 53 innings average of nearly 40 at a strike rate of almost 140 so you know, it's he's been really, really strong and dominant in that competition, and um, yeah, very impressive stuff 
But I think, but I just think that particular that particular game, Lippy. I saw he got a forty-seven ball forty, and they lost by seven runs. Is that not taking the piss a little bit? Well, yeah, potentially. I mean, they're, they're so, funny sort of decks, and they have been in the Caribbean. They, I mean, we've we've seen that in uh, in all forms that that of the cricket that we've seen over there, and, and it happened in the CPL last year that. You know, there were low scores relatively for, for T20s, but then you'll see things like Andre Russell getting 50 off 14, 14 balls because the boundaries are small as well. So it's a real mixture, and, and you can get kind of bogged down, but then someone like Seifert comes in and just smashes it to all parts and, and can kind of catch up. So, yeah, it's very reliant, I think, that competition on, on having someone, having your finisher there that can come in and really put things over the top. Let's talk a little bit about the, the technology. So the smart ball and the graphics, probably the the talking points. Who wants to come in um, on that? A resident graphics expert um, he's got his hand up at the top right-hand corner. Raj, over to you, mate. Well, the one I wanted to talk about was the smart ball, actually, because that, that kind of, that really piqued my interest. I, I was interested to see how it uh, would debut here at the CPL. Um, it's got a little graphics chip inside it, which gives a, a number of stats. Let me just pull them up really quickly. So, give us the, give us the tech specs, Raj. We were talking about it just before we went um, on air. Go on, Buffalo. No, no, no tech specs. I'll keep it. I'll keep it for the layman's. Uh, just, just to make sure everyone's aware of what we're talking about. This year, Big C. Um, the three main areas which it talks about are the speed of the ball pre and post bounce, the amount of revolutions on the ball pre and post bounce, and Another interesting um, metric, it's it's the power or watts. So the amount of power and effort a bowler is putting into the ball. So that, that's an interesting statistic for me. I'd like to know a little bit more about how they measure that. Um, but yeah, I guess my main, uh, you know, great excitement about this piece of technology is that if they can tell things like the difference between the ball speed before bounce and after bounce, maybe that'll lead to helping with the DRS system, helping with the ball being nicked or perhaps those ones where we don't know if the ball has bounced before being caught we can have a look at that uh there is there is a unlimited possibilities if we can get this technology up and running um and yeah it returns uh, the the data back to a laptop within five seconds from from when the ball is delivered i was I, the one thing i've been a bit disappointed with is that i, I kind of thought that we would get uh the results of that in the tv coverage uh, and we haven't quite seen that yet, but I, I mean, hopefully that's something that will evolve because, yeah, all that stuff that you mentioned will be really fascinating to see that as a fan and and add to the fan experience. I mean, which probably uh, touches leads nicely into the graphics. Can, uh, the one question I have: Can anyone tells me what tell me what licks boy means? Because uh, you know I don't want to be culturally insensitive or anything, but I, I that's not a word I've or a phrase I've heard before. Yeah, yeah, so look, I couldn't actually believe your consternation on the Slack channel, guys, that you'd not heard this um, in cricketing parlance before. So, yeah, Licks Boy would always be something that, you know, I, I sort of remember back even to my relative, you know, youth in cricket. The, the club side that I, I played for had quite a lot of Caribbean influence. Um, and that was always a, yeah, always a cry. And it, it essentially meant that someone was giving it a bit of tonk. And, and yeah, Licks Boy would be, um, you know, give it some Licks Boy would be the um yeah would be the, the the phrase that would go out there so um yeah definitely one that um maybe skipped your generation chaps uh, you're that little bit younger than uh, yeah, well, younger than me uh, baldy baldy was telling me earlier that he used to hear it all the time at the top end of town but i never went around there uh, late at night but um that's what he was saying to me 
What I find interesting, I don't know if you've seen the coverage, uh, they're just having an absolute party in the commentary box. Have you seen that? The little inflatable shark floating around there. I really enjoy um, Danny Morrison's commentary. I don't know why, but um, and I know that's not a popular opinion in world cricket, but I think he really brings something to it. And I actually love the atmosphere of that um, Caribbean Premier League. It all adds to it. Can I just quickly? Can I just quickly refute for the listeners the previous point that you made about me being in the top end of town late at a Saturday night, particularly while we're in lockdown in Auckland. That that is just, that is just not true. I mean, it's a great joke, but it's not true. We'll just move swiftly on from that, and you can cut that. I think from, so. Um, from the the recording, Raj. When you when no, you leave go it through. in. Well, uh, you can just stick Raj's personal email address in the comments so that people can uh, get get onto him for liking Danny Morrison. So yeah, just stick that in there. The, the, uh, I do want to add another thing about the, the graphics and the commentary and things, and, and I know it's a gripe of IPL and, and all these things, but I, I could really do with them just saying, that's gone for six, or they're celebrating, instead of hearing, hero maxim- that's a hero maximum. I mean, I, I, I've watched, I don't think I've actually seen them, heard them say, that's gone for six in this whole tournament. It's, that's a hero maximum, and... That's an El Dorado celebration and and all these other things. I could, yeah, could really do without that. It's it's a frustration of all of us fans, I think, uh, going around the world. But that's the point, though, isn't it? Because they're always they know you're going to watch. They're trying to get the people to watch it who like that stuff. So they're trying to reach a different market. But um, no, I actually really like the CPL, to be honest. The cut through of the brand recognition there is superb because you've just name dropped two brands on our podcast for free. They're living rent free in your head, Hero and El Dorado Stew. So, uh, well done to you, sponsors. Yeah, I suppose we could we could uh, name a segment the El Dorado celebration every week if we want. And I could just highlight someone who bowled it through the gate, uh, as we'll get to on Moeen Ali a bit later on. Yeah, well, look, I, I believe El Dorado's a rum, so yeah, hopefully they uh, yeah stock the podcast cupboard as well um, for for, uh, for that. <clears throat> Let's move on to highlights packages. So. Um, Comment here that feeling as if the standards of those has dropped a little bit. Why why aren't they better? Is the the question in there? Yeah. So that was that was me because I I, I just feel like um they they are dropping. I mean maybe you guys don't agree with me, but I feel like we're moving into an environment where everything is on demand. That's that's what cricket is trying to move towards. Certainly in New Zealand here with you know moving to Spark and and having that option, and, and we've given them a, a lot of raps this year for, for the way they've been able to, to bring the coverage, and I think they, they have done a good job for the most part, and, you know, I've en- I, en- I certainly enjoy, you know, with a young family now, being able to, to watch the games on demand and do all of that kind of stuff, but the highlights packages, although they, you know, they're long enough and, and do all of that bits, I feel like, you know, we see really basic things that are just being missed. I think, you know, earlier on I've, I've touched on shows where, uh, highlights, you know, key highlights in the games just weren't shown. Like you'll miss thirty or forty runs of a of a twenty twenty game. You'll see uh, replays of uh, DRS decisions where they'll go, okay, we're going up to DRS now, and then you won't see a replay of the actual DRS running through, which is obviously a pretty key moment. You know, in T twenty games and and the hundred and things, often a uh, a dot ball or something like that kind of a bit of build up to, to some of those key moments they are key moments it's not just about the boundaries and it, and it just yeah it just feels strange to me that we have that we're moving towards missing things rather than actually moving towards a place where 
we've got packages where you can watch every ball of Glenn Phillips's innings or every ball of Jimmy Anderson's spell. I feel like that's the direction we should be going towards, not the direction of actually, you know, a, a poorer product, I think. Yeah, it's a, it's a strange one. For me, the, the coverage of the 100 was the one where it really came home. And um, to an extent, I'd rather not see the the wickets in the last sort of three or four overs where people just get caught on the boundary slogging. You actually want to see the you know the boundaries and the you know a little bit of the ebb and flow in terms of the way that that uh, those kind of partnerships go. You know you don't don't want twenty twenty highlights that are showing you nineteen wickets. You'd rather see the you know you'd rather see the fours and the um and the sixes. So yeah, definitely feel as if there's a bit of work um to be done. But have to admit it's great to have that content on demand. So um yeah, maybe it's just a case of getting the right person to uh, to do the editing. Raj, maybe uh, uh maybe a job for you with your uh, uh, your cricketing editing skills. Let's move on to the 100. So, Baldy, a bit of a, a women's view on the tournament, a, a massive um, boost, you know, in terms of depth for English women's cricket. Could this be the platform um, to close a little bit of that gap on Australia, do you think? Well, yeah, that was the comment that was made by one of the England players in the lead-up to the series with the White Ferns this week in that they were very pleased with the outcome of the 100 in that it was a fantastic platform for the women's game in England, obviously getting the same amount of billing and coverage and media as the men's the men's 100 tournament, which is fantastic to see. But from their perspective, the eight-team tournament allowed them to look at a much broader range of depth. And if that continues, the, the theory is that that's going to build greater depth in the England women's squad, uh, just like a couple of those uh, domestic tournaments have built great depth in the English men's squad for white ball cricket. So, uh, you know, to watch this space in terms of the 100 and whether or not it can it can get more depth in English women's cricket and start to bridge that gap to the Australians who are participating in probably the best, I would, I would say in my view, the best women's franchise tournament in the world in the WBBL. So that's, you know, that's what some, one to watch moving forward. For I think. me, it's, I guess, a little bit of an irony that probably that depth from an English women's cricket perspective came from the fact that a lot of the overseas players pulled out of the 100 tournament. Um, so you probably didn't have that same um, amount and quality um, of overseas stars coming over to play in the tournament. And we talked about it, I think, last year as well, that that sort of um, breakaway in the Big Bash League from double headers where the women would play prior to the men or, or or after the men on a couple of occasions whereas most of these um, games were double headers in in the hundred so whether or not we mm. see that continue because we saw the reverse in the big bash didn't we where they started off together and then they wanted to have the products um, almost separated so yeah it'd be interesting to see where that goes next year but you'd suggest from the success it's had they're not going to change that formula uh, for the for the women's and, and men's hundred being at the same uh, venues by and large for for twenty twenty two. Yeah, I wouldn't think so. I think that they would want to have it stand stand together for a couple of years, and then if they're getting um, a lot of traction on the women's game, then might be m- maybe moving them to you know a couple of women's games back to back or or whatever to to create its own product and and have it stand a little bit like the WBBL as as its own tournament, um, and and that gives you more flexibility in terms of scheduling both tournaments as well. Let's move across to another franchise tournament. So I'm sure not the last of these changes, but um, a bit of movement in the IPL. So uh, Tim David going to the Royal Challengers Bangalore. We've got a couple of replacements as well. Uh, Tim Southey um, stepping into some pretty big shoes of Pat Cummins at KKR um, and Glenn Phillips um, going in to replace 
Joss Butler at the Rajasthan Royals as well. So what's caught our eye um, with, with that um, movement in the yeah the IPL, which I think is going to take place in the UAE, isn't it? Yeah, look, I, I was, I mean, I mean, always excited to see Kiwis getting their shot. So yeah, excited to see those two Kiwis. But I'm probably more interested to hear Baldy's thoughts on on Tim David because he's someone who's been, you know, pr- performing really well in these franchise tournaments that we've had so far this year. And I think Baldy, I, I, I saw in a an earlier run sheet that we never quite got to it that you were talking about him as maybe a bit of a bolter for the the Aussie T20 side. For the World Cup, and obviously, I think he plays for for Singapore. I think he qualifies for as well. So, um, yeah, be really interested to hear what your thoughts are on him. Yeah, he's certainly been very successful of late. Uh, he has represented Singapore internationally uh, previous to that. So, I think I think he has some Australian parentage that allows him to qualify for Australia as well. He was certainly on the select uh, on the selectors' radar uh, coming into the World T Twenty squad, being selected. Mark War had him as a as a dark horse as well. And, and if anyone knows anything about uh, horses, it'll be Mark War. So, look, I don't think he's far away from from being involved in that Australian setup. He's obviously had a lot of success domestically, uh, which puts him in, in and around that conversation. Uh, the interesting thing for me is a lot of those cricketers on the cusp of selection for Australia or in the white ball squads, uh, Pat Cummins, Adam Zampa, Sams, Kane Richardson, all in the squad to go to the T20 World Cup or pulling out of the IPL. So that's an interesting development. Um, and then a, a few of the sort of guys who didn't make the squad, Riley Meredith and Jai Richardson and Andrew Ty also pulling out. Uh, so there's a lot of Australians moving in and about the place, pulling out of the IPL, which will be an interesting uh, thing for Australians in the build-up to that World Cup because some of those players will be will be pretty short of a run. I assume Pat Cummins is resting to make himself fresh, but... Uh, it might be that he's just a, a little bit short of a gallop coming into those first two World Cup games. He's been resting since the IPL finished. Uh, is there a um, Cricket Australia uh, edict saying they can't go, or it's just a coincidence that there's a lot of Australians uh, not not playing or pulling out? Yeah, I haven't heard anything from Cricket Australia saying don't go. I, I don't think that they will have um, issued or they, they issue certificates of no objection, I think they call them something like that, uh, which is pretty much a formality. I don't think anyone has been issued with a certificate of, or not been issued with a certificate of no objection for, for a long, long time. Uh, so I don't think Cricket Australia would be stepping in and saying, we don't want you to go. This will be individual players' decisions, I assume, based on the quarantine requirements going into the tournament and whether or not they feel like it's a great build-up for them to head into the T20 World Cup, which will be on the same soil uh, slightly, uh, shortly after the IPL. So let's move on to news a little closer to home. New Zealand um, getting underway um, on the TV, um, their tour of Bangladesh, um, both on uh, Spark um, Sports. I think the Black Caps versus Pakistan is going to be on Sky and the White Ferns as well. So what do we want to talk about there? Um, a couple of COVID casualties uh, for one, Lippy, but a few changes to squads as well. Yeah, so look, um, I think just on the White Ferns, probably the most interesting thing for me is, is going to be the return of Susie Bates. She's um, she's hit a couple of 70s and, and some warm-up games. And um, yeah, just, I mean, it's going to be a huge boost for, for the White Ferns to get her back. She's, you know, such an important cog for being that way for, for many years. So yeah, having her back in the lineup, particularly with Amelia Kerr missing, is, is going to be super important. And, you know, I, I probably laboured the point now that, um, you know, we're just really hoping... Uh, that, you know, really, really hoping that she uh, or that the black, the, the white ferns can 
put up put up a good showing against you know some a side that we've seen really uh, really probably at the near the top of their game at the moment. On the on the black cap side of things, yeah, Finn Allen unfortunately going down with COVID was a, a real blow to to that side, and and probably for Finn Allen, um, I'm I'm sure he's really gutted about this. Um, has stepped away from the IPL to to come and play uh, for New Zealand. You know whether he would have played any games in the IPL, um, probably. A, you know he was he was on the outer anyway, um, or you know down the picking order at least uh, in that squad. But yeah, real shame for him to to miss out on that experience and then come to uh, this environment and then and then have to quarantine as well and, and miss out on these games where I'm sure he would have been penciled into the lineup pretty much for all of these five T20s. And and actually that leaves us a bit light on batting. I think you know you, you run through that kind of batting order and it's. You know, we're looking at Ravindra, Nichols, Young, Latham, De Gronholm, Bluntall, and then you know we're, we're into um, we're into Colbert at, at number seven, and sort of your all-rounders, and there, there's not a lot of other batting options. So, yeah, having him miss out because of uh, the way that they've been able to bring in a replacement because of COVID and and all the other things, it's Matt Henry that's come in as the replacement. So. They're just really light on batting, and I think all of that top six is going to have to play pretty much every game. And then you look at that lineup, and it feels more like a test lineup uh, than it, than a T20 lineup. So, yeah, it's, it's going to be a fascinating watch. I, I don't know. I mean, Raj, you must be excited to to see Rachan Ravindra getting involved. Yeah, I, I'm actually really excited about this this whole team, and the reason being is that uh, a lot of them are not actually in the frame. For, for the Black Caps going forward. They're definitely the, the next next level down, if, if I'm not being rude to say that. But you've got a chance here to actually stand up and, and, and take that, that chance with both hands. We don't know what the pitches are going to sort of give us in, in Pakistan. There's not a lot of history there over the last decade. So it's going to be interesting to see who can go there and adapt and actually play really well. Um, what do you think, uh, I'm going to go back to you, Lippy, on bringing uh, Matt Henry in uh, to replace... For now, and I found that quite quite curious. Yeah, it's purely because of the COVID requirements. Um, I think the only they couldn't get someone over there that wouldn't would have to uh, hit. They would have had to quarantine for I think just as long as you know Finn was going to be out anyway. And then I think also coming back that you know MIQs, particularly obviously with the situation here in New Zealand now, the MIQ situation is really tough. And and they already had Matt Henry booked a room because he's playing in the Pakistan series so now he can just kind of step in into that Bangladesh T20 series and yeah it's sort of a lot of logistics in it and, and I think you can see why now that they named all of their squads so early because there are just so many logistics that they've had to deal with uh, around COVID and, and the way that these squads have been put together. Well let's just touch on that briefly the COVID situation here you've alluded to uh, Lippy, we're back into a lockdown here, I think now until the 13th of September, at least in Auckland, uh, with the rest of the country still under pretty strict uh, level three restrictions as well. But this could disrupt the domestic season, particularly because um, the government here have been pretty clear on the fact that those managed isolation rules apply to everybody. There's, there's not a lot of exceptions and there's not a lot of availability. Um, and even I think uh, potential um, disruption to that managed isolation service, um, given that we're yeah, trying to keep this Delta variant out. So, yeah, is that going to devalue potentially the the first round of the Plunkett Shield, um, which isn't that far away when we uh, when we kind of move through um, into September tomorrow? 
Yeah, well, I mean, it could disrupt it completely, to, to be honest, depending on, on how long. Uh, Auckland obviously is in level four and, and level three restrictions. I mean, if we're in, if we're in uh, these restrictions all the way through into to October, then it's going to be really, really tricky for not only the, the Auckland players, but obviously, you know, that has ripple effects throughout the whole tournament because it's not like we have a lot of uh, provincial sides here in New Zealand. So, you know, one of them missing is actually a, a massive chunk and it's not like you can just kind of sit them out for for a little while. That would have a, a real um, big disruption for for the tournament. So, and yeah, I mean, I, we know of a couple of guys who are over in the UK and in various other spots around the world. I think I saw Chad Bowes um, is over uh, playing some cricket in the USA. Uh, I think he's got a Canterbury contract and and due to come back at some point, I'm sure. But you know, finding an MIQ spot for him, I don't know how that's going. So. Yeah, it's 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 a big disruption, and um, yeah, just throws a spanner in the works and something to monitor, I guess. Awesome. Well, yeah, as you mentioned, if we will certainly keep um, an eye on that because I know uh, we'll be keen to do another um, preview of the New Zealand season as we get a little bit closer. So hopefully, we'll have a bit more clarity when we uh, we get to that um, episode. We will wrap up this week in cricket uh, for now and be back after the break um, to talk England, India. Um, at Headingley, so please stay tuned and we'll be back soon. Welcome back to the pod. Well, we've got to start with our health and safety expert, Raj, ready um, when we talk all things England, India. How on earth did Jarvo do it again before we get on to the serious stuff, Raj? I don't know, and it's good because I know who Jarvo is this week. I missed him <laughs> in the last test, but um, I saw him this time. I actually saw, because I was watching the game when when Sharma got out, and I did see somebody running on in the background. You can see it as, as Sharma's walking off. I, I think it's, 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 um, it's incredible that he's been able to do that in two tests back-to-back. Uh, I don't know what the um it's obviously very different in England compared to where we are here in New Zealand with the COVID restrictions and stuff and just having someone that close to the players when they're in this kind of bubble or this this kind of you know times that we're in I find that strange that somebody's been able to walk onto the pitch easily twice um but yeah for me it, it was funny the first time not so funny the second time it's got to be an inside job right how like how, yeah how do you how do you get on Someone's got to be helping him, and you know, it must take an awful lot of planning to, like, he's just, he's down right by the pitch. He's able to get walk onto the field. Uh, yeah, I, I absolutely staggered, like you say, that it's happened the second time, and and uh, it seemed like the players were not uh, as didn't take it as much of a joke this time around. Besto in particular was uh, was pretty upset. Yeah, so this guy's got a little bit of history. So he's one of these serial pranksters, I think. Um, has actually made his way onto yeah, look a number of sporting fields, and and I think is um, what my children well, I, I actually led to believe this is a real thing. He, he's something called a YouTuber apparently, um, and there's a, a bit of a bit of cash in that allegedly. Um, um, certainly, so um, my two boys tell me. But yeah, it, it is a little bit worrying, and I think um, reading some of the sort of backlash of this, someone had to give him the bat that he walked out with, so that yeah, there was definitely at least one other person involved in that um in that process and yeah look it's got to call a little bit that security piece um into um into perspective but look just like the broadcasters will um try and ignore it now so as not to encourage um more idiots like um jarvo and get on to the cricket um lippy i saw a social post that you put together you excluded your own opinion from it and just really hung baldy raj and i out to dry with our terrible predictions for the rest of this series but we've got it pretty wrong haven't we (laughs) 
Yeah, geez, we it's fair to say we probably overreacted to to that second test, and uh, you know, just touching on the um, excluding myself, the only reason I excluded myself is because uh, all I did in the, when you asked me to predict the result of that game is uh, just say that the, you know I'm not r- worried about the result anymore. I just want to see Ravi Ashwin play, so I didn't actually say anything uh, incriminating because uh, I'd already kind of moved on. So yeah, I can't can't exclude myself fr- from that. Uh, in this in this forum but yeah I you know look I I will say that I had thought that second test was a bit closer than you guys and uh, you know I guess we have been talking a little bit about how the fragility of that uh, Indian batting lineup and and it's not as strong as uh, you know as we might have made out from you know looking when you look through it and you think Sharma and Kohli and Pujara and Rahane and Pant and you and you think of those players as you know, real elite players of the game, but then you go back to their records since 2020, and Kohli, Pujara, and Rahani are, are barely averaging over 25. I think Kohli's actually under 25. So, you know, we've talked about how fragile that batting lineup was, but you know, I, I definitely didn't predict uh, all out 78. Yeah, I think that um, that's quite embarrassing. I feel from from an Indian perspective, they didn't bat well. Uh, Kohli won the toss finally. And, and and put his team into bat. Um, and to be honest, I don't think the pitch was as bad as as that seventy eight has made out. Uh, I remember saying to Binksy uh, the day after, I was like, I actually think that after that first hour, first forty five minutes, it was actually pretty flat. And you saw guys like Rohit Sharma, even though he only got nineteen, he still batted for almost three hours um, without too much of a too much of a problem. Um, I think that there's a massive massive failing in a lot of batsmen at the moment around the world's technique, but especially it was highlighted in this Indian one, Indian Indian performance, even in the second innings, when guys like James Anderson, Robertson, um, Overton and, and Curran are just putting the ball on the spot in that fourth, fourth stump, fifth stump line, they're just nicking it. Uh, England do it as well, but India have been really bad at it. If you have a look at a little montage of how Coley's gotten out, every time in this series it's the same ball and he's playing the same shot and he's doing the same thing and then then the, it has the same result um that's why lippy i'll go i'll just come to you quickly that's why you've got to applaud someone like rishav punt going out there and, and trying to to find another way to um to, to to attack that kind of bowling do do you actually have to applaud rishav punt or do you have to go hold on buddy this is uh... Things are a bit tricky out here, and you know you can only kind of say, "Oh, that's how I play for so long." And and maybe it's not him that says that. It's you know maybe that's unfair that you know actually other people are saying that about him rather than uh, you know I don't know, haven't got in the mind of, of Rishabh Pant myself. But you know, yeah, I I have uh, quite a few question marks about him, and and I guess just what he's bringing to this side because at the moment it feels like five. Five, four, five, six, kind of needs to be the stability for that in- Indian batting lineup at the moment, and and it's it's really not. It's uh, you know we obviously touched on Coley and and his struggles, but yeah, punt the times that he's coming in, they're, they're not times where you're going out and and letting the shackles off. They're, they're times when you've got to dig in, and and I guess yeah, I think I've said it before, but I, I'm I'm quite harsh on him probably because I really feel like he's. He's too good of a cricketer to just be giving his wicket away. I really think he's the kind of player that can develop into someone who can play in a lot of different ways, and and I just don't think that we're seeing that from him at the moment. Well, look, 
I'll plug Baldy in here on this because I think if I look at the way that Pan has approached the start of his innings, he's come out and he's looked like um, a swashbuckling Adam Gilchrist. But the difference with Gilchrist is two things. Number one, he batted at number seven. Um, uh, number two, probably the guy, the six guys in front of him probably had um, at that stage in Australian dominance better test records. But the thing about Gilchrist was he could still play the situation if you wanted him to come in at 350 for five and come and smash it, he would. But he was also, you know, adept at coming in at 150 for five um, and batting with the guy at the other end. So um, for me, I don't know whether it is a mindset, uh, look, a mindset thing. And is that, a you know, a T20 um, component? But what, what can he learn from someone like Gilchrist, do you think, Baldy? Well, I think the one thing that he has to learn from from someone like Gilchrist is that there is there is an opportunity to play yourself into an innings. You don't have to run down the pitch at the third or fourth ball you faced and try and manufacture something early on in your dig. Adam Gilchrist would often be fifteen off thirty and then seventy off seventy. You know, he he cashed in after he got himself in uh, to a certain extent. So he wouldn't always go hammer and tongs from ball one like he would opening the batting in a one day game. I guess the advantage that Gilchrist had is that he often had someone like Brett Lee, someone like Mitchell Johnson, someone who could bat a little bit at 8-9 that he could forge a partnership with. The challenge, I think, for Punt is he he either doesn't see or doesn't recognise that he's got to bat in a partnership with somebody around him. Um, He hasn't batted long enough in this series to bat with the tail, but whenever he gets into that situation, then he's got to start, you know, running down the wicket and manufacturing something because... Other than Shami and Bumrah in um, in that one innings where they where they made all those runs where England failed to bowl them out at Lords, they haven't really batted for long periods of time and don't really look like they can bat for long periods of time. Once England bowled the ball either on the stumps or in fifth stump channel in this test, you know, they, the Indian batsmen didn't last very long at all, 8, 9, 10, 11. So, you know, Punt's got to change. You know, he's got to pick the situation a little bit better. If he bats with Jadeja, they can bat for a long period of time and score at four, four and a half runs and over without taking too many risks. If he's batting with Shami and Bumrah and Siraj, then he's able to take risks and then he's able to bat um, with the kind of freedom that I think he wants to. But unfortunately, he's not doing a very successful job of it at the moment. And it's really costing his team. You know, at six, you have a little bit more responsibility to bat in a partnership and then and um, and do something with the opportunity that's given to you. No, no, he hasn't. But I guess I kind of want to move the spotlight away from uh, Pant. There was other, there was ten other people on the field that that didn't play great either. Um, Binksy, I want to come to you and look at that Indian uh, top three, four, and five. There were some runs scored in the second innings, but at what point do you start to to look at that Indian lineup and go that this is just not good enough? The the production out of that top order. I mean, the great teams, you've got four out of five innings, you've got someone scoring 100 out of that that three to five. So what do you make of them? Yeah, so look, I'll just say two things. England's a tough place to bat. We've done the stats on that a number of times. I think also we talked a little bit earlier on about that bowling of fourth, fifth stump line and someone like Coley getting out the same way. And I think what we don't recognise, and maybe it's just the highlights packages aren't good enough, um, we're not seeing the build-up um, to that in terms of the, the way that someone like a James Anderson or an Ollie Robinson or even a Sam Curran is setting those guys up. They've all got the ability um, to bring the ball back in to Coley. So, you know, you've got to cover both edges. And that's where these guys are being, re- you know, being so dangerous in their ability where if I go back, 
it, not that long ago, Anderson would just come in and bowl. You you would expect to see him bowl away, 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 away in. And he's changing that up now with this wobble seam and also just going in, 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 and then away. He, he's really mixing up um, that ability. So to bring it back to the Indian batting lineup, you're always going to have someone that's out of form. You know, Pajara came into the series, a few um, clouds around him has, has kind of, you know, batted his way um, back into form. Rohit, I think, has looked really, really good. Um, KL Rahul um, obviously wasn't even in our top three openers when we did a series preview, but I mean, our predictions aren't worth shit anyway. Um, but he, you know, he looked good, particularly in that um, that first uh, first innings of the, of the previous test. So look, I do think it is about, um, at the moment, that the problem is Rahane and the problem is Kohli in terms of their, you know, their, their form. Um, and you'd be a very, very brave Ravi Shastri um, to be leaving out your, your captain or your captain-elect, wouldn't you? So um, I, I'd expect them to go in with, you know, the orders of um, same order chaps, uh, better batting, um, with the exception maybe of does Pant need some protection in terms of him batting at seven? Um, and I don't know whether they'll go down that route with maybe, a, I don't know, a Vahari or someone coming in. Baldy? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Coley has already said that he doesn't like the sixth batter option. He likes to have five batters, his keeper, and then five bowlers. The challenge they've got is they're not getting any batting out of 8, 9, 10, 11, as you said. But I think England do deserve a lot of credit for the way they bowled in this test. A lot of credit. You know, if you just watch the highlight package, as you said, it looks like those guys are playing to balls that they shouldn't be playing at. But if you, you know, I watched a lot of the first session when those wickets were tumbling, and Anderson in particular did an incredible job of setting those batsmen up by forcing them to play and play and play until he just got one in an area that they didn't really need to play, but they were committed to a mindset of reaching out and playing those deliveries. If you have a look at where England was, or sorry, where India was successful in this test, they were able to make better decisions outside off stump when they were 212 for, uh, 215 for two, um, you know, chasing down England's mammoth first score. They were making good decisions outside off stump. Fast forward to the next day, Pujara got bogged down, Coley got bogged down to a certain extent, and all of a sudden they're reaching for balls outside off stump because they weren't in the right type of flow, and that's when they started nicking off again. And, so, and as soon as that happened, then India were losing wickets in clumps. And we've seen the Indian side do this from time to time. They did it in Australia, of course, in Adelaide. They've done it here, being bowled out for 78. And, of course, they went from 215 for two to all out 278 in the second inning. So there is that collapse that's in them. My concern is really around Rahane in the middle of that middle order because he now has to sort of protect punt to a certain extent because if he's going to bat the way he bats and they're not going to drop punt, then all of a sudden all this responsibility is on Rahane to be the rock in terms of the middle order and make sure that he's protecting Rahane and Jadeja and the guys batting behind him. And I don't really envy him that job at that Indian side. I do think that's a good point to make about about the English bowling. They bowled really, really well. Uh, Anderson on that first morning had the ball on a string. Uh, Robinson throughout the whole test, he had plenty to, take, uh, to tweet about. Um, and the 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 main thing I wanted to point out, and you did you did mention it there, was how India batted in that third session of the third day, where they played well, they left the ball well. As soon as it came into the morning of the fourth day, I mean, I remember texting you guys and going. If Tendulkar was playing, you would have nicked out by now. The thing is that the Indian batsmen there weren't good enough to nick the ball because they were bowling so well. The English English bowlers. So um, a lot of credit goes to um, goes to the English bowlers through that throughout that test. Before Lippy comes in, how how pissed off would you be if you're Jimmy Anderson? You bowl eight overs 
um, five maidens, three for six, and don't get to come on and tail burgle. Like, oh my goodness me, that that it, it was almost like a club game where it's like, all right, you've you've had your go. Well, uh, this chap has paid his team money. He needs to have a little bowl. Yeah, what what I don't know what was going on there. I, yeah, I completely agree. I was thinking the the exact same thing. But Binksy, what I was coming in for was really to throw to you because I feel like you know last time we we opened the the segment of uh, England India by basically letting you have a rant about how bad things are. How, how good was this as as a turnaround? And you know, I think I don't think we were alone in in writing off England in this series and. I actually think it took a lot for them to come back and you know really perform well in this test and and put India to the sword. It wasn't it wasn't just a, a win? They beat them by an innings. It was yeah, stunning turnaround. Yeah, so I've always got to temper this, haven't I? Because I'm pessimistic by nature, and um, we got a couple of breaks. I think um, number one, Coley won his first toss against England in about 437 years or something like that. Um, and probably made the wrong call. Um, you know, Headingley, if there's anything, it's in that first, you know, couple of hours. I think Root was probably licking his lips when that coin came down and um, was like, you're going to make the wrong call here. And and, and I've got the ability now. Um, I've got the, um, as the Aussies would say, the new cherry in the hand. Um, and I've got a chance when I've lost the toss. Um, and he was backed up brilliantly by Jimmy Anderson, who, let's be honest, didn't bowl particularly well in the second innings of the, of the previous test match, by his own admission as well. Um, Burns, so Raj's mate, um, and Hamid look, looked really, really solid. And I think um, Hamid, to an extent, reminded me a little bit of Alistair Cook in the way that he knew the shots that he was going to score his runs with. He wasn't going to start driving down the ground because that wasn't his game. If he got width, he played the cut shot. If, it, if they got into his pads he tucked him away and he looked really really good and then um look actually went up through the gears but then annoyingly kind of didn't bat the same way when he came back the next uh, the next morning i know he's got to get back in but um that was a little bit disappointing the one caveat i'd have to all of this is anderson really got us off to a brilliant brilliant start and root again we'd take those runs out of it um the rest of the you know the rest of the order as as not really um, uh, fired that sort of lower middle order again. Um, and that's, you know, that's a concern for me. And, um, you know, that we, we don't really seem to have that sort of middle order engine room that has actually served us pretty well. Changes coming up for this next test match with um, Chris Wokes coming back into the squad, who can hold a bat. Um, Bairstow is going to be given the gloves. Um, likely that Ollie Pope, I think, will come back in. Um, and maybe we'll bat at five and, and we'll bump uh, Butler down, uh, sorry, Bairstow down uh, to six in that order. But I, st- I still think there's that reliance on Joe Root and, you know, can he go again? Um, uh, I'd love him to, but, you know, 400s in the series would be pretty, uh, yeah, pretty special. So that that's the caveat for me. And look, it was really nice to see Mo and Ali um, back. And Lippy, I won't steal your thunder talking about that uh, that one through the gate. Look, um, just before you, you know, oh, we can we could talk about that ball through the gate, uh, many many times, and um, let's just say it was absolutely fantastic because uh, it probably didn't have a a huge bearing on the game. We should probably talk about <laughs> a few more other uh, important things. But before we do, I, I kind of wanted to detour with Joe Root because it, it's to me it's a, a rare case of the fact that he's batting so well now. It's a it's a rare case of. 
I think because of his test form, he has to be in that T20 World Cup squad for England because he's just been unreal. And, and I don't see how you can leave a batter of his quality out of any format of cricket that's coming up. Well, he's in rarefied air, Joe Root, because only only three Englishmen have scored 600s uh, in a calendar year. Dennis Compton, uh, 1947. I think uh, it was uh, Vaughan in 2006, I think, scored six in a, in a calendar year, and now Joe Root in 2021. So one more hundred in a series puts him in pretty elite company in terms of, uh, of course, 700s in a series, mo- uh, 700s in a calendar year, most for England. Then he chases down, I think it's Muhammad Yusuf in 2009, maybe, scored 900s in a calendar year. I'm sure some stats gurus uh, that are fans of the podcast will point out my, my errors in facts there. But, you know, that's pretty rarefied company. Not many players have scored 400s in a test series either. So this is a really, really special period for Joe Root. And every time I look at his name on the list of Hall of Fame, 100 greatest cricketers. He goes up one or two spots every time he goes out to bat at the moment. Yeah, I think in my role as the health and well-being officer of this podcast, I think having Joe Root touring, uh, you know, going to uh, going to the, the 2020 World Cup and then having to go to Australia on a long tour is probably a little bit too much. He's probably looking forward to getting a little bit of a, a break then, and he, he really does deserve it because he's looking incredible at the moment, the way he is driving the ball is is just incredible. I see it when I close my eyes at night, actually. So, guys, um, let's um, do what we do best on the podcast and predictions for um, the next um, test match. I, I guess let's frame this in a couple of ways. So I think we know the changes that are going to um, come for England um, because they've telegraphed those with obviously Butler um, leaving the squad. Mark Wood looks like he'll be fit. Again, and um, Ollie Robinson, as good as he's looked, I wonder whether it might be time to give him a little bit of a rest because, um, um, yeah, he paces sort of looked a little bit down um, at times. But what, what for India? Do we see any selection changes? Lippi, um, I'll give you 30 seconds to talk about bringing Ravi Ashwin back in before we go to Bordy and then Raj. Oh, we don't need 30 seconds. you just got to bring him back in, don't you? I mean, it's as simple as that for me. Uh, I mean, Sharma looked... Uh, Ishant Sharma looked pretty average, I think, in that game. And, you know, obviously it's only one test and he's, he's been a, a good performer for them. But I, I do wonder if we're probably looking at, at two changes and, and whether that's uh, dependent. A lot of that is dependent on Ravi Jadeja's fitness. Um, if if he's if he's out with this knee complaint that he's got, then I think they bring Ashwin in. And, and I think because of that uh, and because of Ishant's performance, I think we might see Shardul Takua come back in as well because uh, we just need to strengthen that that batting lineup and, and you know at least have someone who can bat at eight um, because you know at the moment it's just not working for India and you know I, I'm sure that at least Shastri is thinking pretty hard about playing that sixth batsman but yeah it sounds like from everything Coley's saying that he really doesn't want to do that and and if that's the case then I think they have to pick. Uh, both Ashwin and either Jadeja or or Ashwin and uh, and Shardul Takur. I'd pick Shardul Takur not just because of his batting, but because he can swing the ball. We've seen that guys that have been successful on this tour so far have been able to swing the Duke's ball. Now, no one does it better than Jimmy Anderson, let's, let's be fair. But Shardul Takur is the kind of bowler who could swing the ball away from the bat a bit and get a little bit of nibble off the seam. Andy shores up their batting a little bit so that they're not batting sort of four number 11s from, from eight through to jack. So... I, I think Shardul Takur to come in for this next test match is a good decision, regardless of wicket, um, for Ishant Sharma, who I think is a little bit out of form and maybe could do with a, with a with a rest. I'm not sure what he would do in that rest, but I think for the success of the team, 
I would be wanting Shadul Thakur to come into that to that Indian side to shore up their batting and also to provide a little bit of swing in their bowling options to go with Shami and Bumrah, who've been exceptional for mine. They've been the pick of the two Indian bowlers. Siraj has been okay, but hasn't been spectacular. He wasn't bad in the second test. Yeah, that's, um, that's fair. Uh, I guess, so I would be very surprised not to see Ravi Ashwin actually in this in this test coming up. I think that he has been a staple of their, their, their success over the last few years, five, five years, four, five, six years. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised also to see them playing two spinners because that has worked for India in the past. Um, I, I, I would be surprised to see Ishant Sharma dropped for any reason other than an injury. He, he has that similar uh, aura that he's played over 100 test matches for India. He's one of the first people picked with, with the ball. Obviously, Boomer's probably the first one. Uh, but uh, in saying that, we don't know what Coley's going to do. He picks a different team almost every time. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think that... Are we, are we doing predictions on, t- on scores as well? Why not? Something else to get wrong. Okay, fair enough. Uh, I think that India will 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 win this game, and the three one is definitely still on. I feel like this this test that we just witnessed, third test, was probably a little bit of a blip, just like the um, the Australian series where they got bowled out for thirty six. It's just got a similar sort of ring to it. So I still think the three one is on for India. It's Jay. Yeah, look, I I tend to agree that I would probably still lean India in, in, you know, having to pick this test. Uh, If I, you know, I I think I picked 3-1 as well at the start. And, and yeah, I I would kind of stick to that. But I'm definitely a bit shakier because now, you know, I guess talked so much about uh, how little confidence I had in the England batting lineup. I'm starting to feel that way with this Indian batting lineup. I really, you know, I really do. I, I, I started the... The chat in this uh, series of of India and, and England, kind of joking about Coley that you know he, he's he's lost it and he's not good at batting anymore. But I'm I'm actually quite concerned. You know, he's he's like I said, he's averaging under twenty five since twenty twenty since the start of twenty twenty. This is not a, a you know a short little out of form period. This is a long time now where he's just not getting the runs he needs. And and if he doesn't then that Indian batting lineup starts to look a bit shaky. So, yeah, it's it's really, you know, toss of a coin almost for me, but I'm probably sort of 55-45 in the Indian camp. My challenge is whether or not I overreacted enough or, or not enough to the last game and, and whether or not I overreact too much to the, to the result um, in Yorkshire. I mean, we're going back to London, back to the Oval for the fourth test, and it's not too far away. I mean, it starts, what, Thursday evening New Zealand time. So... You know, there's not a lot of turnaround for these guys to to change their mindset, change their approach, whatever. I, f- I feel like it's going to be a really competitive test, but I, I still have a look at that in- Indian bowling lineup, and 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 I think you know that's that's a pretty good bowling lineup. It's a pretty good batting lineup on paper, but England have belief now. That that opening combination has given them belief that they can get off to a good start. Milan looked assured. Guys batting around Joe Root. I mean, there are going to be some changes in that batting order as well, but I just feel like that England side are, are self-assured and, and should give a good account of themselves. If they don't, it'll be a massive disappointment, I think, for English cricket. If they don't be... If they're not highly competitive with India in this fourth test, I think they'll be very, very disappointed. I still think India will win, but I've been wrong before and I'm probably going to be wrong again. 
Yeah, look, unsurprisingly, I'm going to sit on the fence a little bit here. Um, statistically, the Oval is the best ground in the UK for spinners um, compared to it being the worst ground for seamers in terms of um, the last sort of five or six years, I think, of, of stats. So for me, I think it comes down to selection. And, and Coley's talked a hell of a lot about, I like this blueprint of um, Jadeja and... Um, and pants at six, um, I think they're going to have to make a change. And I think if they make that change and they manage to get two spinners in, um, I think India are favourites for this game. But I think if they're going with that seam attack, and I've got to disagree that I think they'd have to leave out Ishant Sharma for me if they were going to um, change things around because he just looked short of a gallop, um, to be perfectly honest, for, for me in that, um, in that last game. The other factor, I think, if in, uh, India don't play the two spinners, um, um, and even if they do, is that, um, England have got a couple of guys um, in that space um, who have had a lot of success at the Oval. So Ollie Pope's home ground. Uh, Rory Burns has just obviously got um, a little bit of form. Um, and Joe Root loves batting at the Oval as well. So I, I think for me, um, it's going to come down to selection. If it's uh, if it's the same selection for India as the previous test, I'm going to say England are going to win the game. Um, but if they go in with the two chicken dinners, um, I think we could, uh, we could struggle um, at the Oval, which uh, certainly in September normally... A bit of spin um, is the order of the day. Well, that just about wraps up this episode of the pod. We will be back for a lockdown recording of our Cricketing Hall of Fame over the course of the next week or so as well. So do please dip back um, into that back catalogue. Um, but for now, um, we hope you're listening to this just prior to that game, kicking off at the Oval on the 2nd of September um, but for all of our listeners all around the world, um, stay safe, um, particularly if you're in your bubbles, um, and we'll speak to you next week. Good night. God bless. See you soon.